So he went to Beersheba, and like I said, from, from Jezreel down to Beersheba is about a 70-mile hike. But he himself, verse 4, went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that God might take his life. And he said, it's enough. Now take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Every creature's unique in the song that it sings, all exclaiming, indescribable. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher, Rob Kellogg. Today in our scripture, Elijah says, It is enough now, Lord. Take my life. We sense that Elijah meant, I can't do this anymore, Lord. The work was stressful, exhausting, and seemed to accomplish nothing. The great work on Mount Carmel did not result in a lasting national revival or return to the Lord. Perhaps Elijah had especially hoped that the events on Mount Carmel would turn around Ahab and Jezebel and the leadership of Israel in general. If so, Elijah forgot that people reject God despite the evidence, not because of the evidence. This is also true today. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he continues our study in chapter 19 in the book of 1 Kings. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for Ahab to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him, completely giving himself up and not serving Jehovah, but rather serving this false god. So now this young lady is being brought up in a very uh, privileged environment. She's the queen, or she's the king's daughter. So Jezebel, as a young woman, her, her dad's king, assuredly he gave her the very best of everything the world could offer. She was born with the proverbial silver spoon in her mouth. And her father was an idolater, and she learned to be an idolater as well. And was very likely a very selfish, self-centered woman. She probably went to the best schools, had the best clothing, was in the right social circles. And from the world's perspective, she married into privilege and authority by marrying Ahab, king of Israel. And after this chapter, in chapter 21, we see that she usurps Ahab's authority and has another man killed because Ahab was lusting for this man's vineyard, and the man wouldn't sell it to Ahab. But she goes up and above, usurps the king's authority, uses his own signet ring, makes things happen, has the man killed, and then presents this vineyard to her husband. And God, through Elijah, will pronounce judgment not only upon Ahab, but also upon Jezebel. And we'll see that. But notice how off-kilter this relationship with Ahab and Jezebel was. Even though he was the king of Israel, Ahab seemed to have little authority over his own house and his reign. She was ruling not only her house, but also she was the power behind the throne and the kingdom. And she's the one who initiated the, uh, the contract on Elijah's 
head. It wasn't Ahab. It wasn't him. It was her. And he did nothing to stop her. And as the husband, as the man of the home that God had created him to be, he should have said to his wife, you will not do this thing. It's wrong and you're not going to do it. And if she was a godly woman, which she's not, she would have gladly submitted to her husband because that's God's order. And even though Ahab could have seized Elijah and imprisoned him, notice that it was, it was her. So let me ask you a question. When do you know that God has let a culture or a people or a country go? What are some of the symptoms, the hallmarks of a society or a people or a country when God has kind of taken his hand off the steering wheel and let them do what they want? Well, Isaiah tells us in chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, God speaking through Isaiah the prophet concerning Judah and Jerusalem says this. In verse 12 he says, As for my people, notice, children are their oppressors and women rule over them. Children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. Oh, my people, God says, those who lead you cause you to err and destroy the way of your paths. And it doesn't mean, please understand this, before I even get on this, women have a wonderful role, and God has given men a wonderful role. And when they fall into those roles, there is there's peace and there's harmony and it works the way God intended. But whenever we start mixing and matching these roles and abdicating roles to the other, we create a hellstorm in our life and in our family and in our culture. And that's exactly what we're seeing. But the man is to be the head over the woman. It doesn't mean that the man is smarter. It doesn't mean that the man is more capable. There are men, women who are smarter than their husbands and more capable sometimes than their husbands. But it doesn't matter because God has said, I want you, husband, to be the head. And your wife is to be submitted to you. But you are to treat her with the utmost respect. You are to love her as Christ loved the church. And is that a tall order, guys? Yes. That's a really tall order. And that's a sobering thought. So it's none of this bravado. I'm the man, the king of the jungle, pounding his chest. Woman, do what I tell you to do. Where's my slippers? Where's my pipe? Where's my dinner? Where's the evening paper? I want this all ready so that I walk in the house and put down my briefcase. Tell how, how dated that is, right? Put down my, I'm thinking of, you know, Leave it to Beaver or something. You know, you better do all this stuff. In Genesis 3.16, God pronounced judgment upon the serpent, upon Adam, and upon Eve. But one of the things he said to Eve, he says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. And these are the, the consequences of her sin of of rebelling against God's word, God's word and caving in to the desire. Notice what he says to her. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And this word desire literally means a longing after. Uh, and it's not like a, a, a physical longing after. It's more like, I want your authority. I want to rule over. And that's exactly what we see in a society when God is, when, when they have made their run and God has lifted his hand. You're going to see children be their oppressors and women are going to rule over. And we see that in our culture today. And again, it has nothing to do with the, the ability of a woman. See, Jesus is not a male chauvinist. We have to dismiss that thought altogether. 
He loves women. He loves his creation. He loves men and he loves women. He's made them with a purpose. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, what does it say? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Notice, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. That's a big deal. Do you find Jezebel fitting this scripture? Do you find her submitting to her husband? No, she's not submitting at all. She's running over him as fast as she can because there's a weakness in him. But instead of understanding that weakness and staying away from that and just submitting herself and let God deal with him, because God can and does, just because you have the strength and the power to jump over him and get the job done, you are missing what God wants to do. The better thing for you ladies to do is to pray for your husband, encourage him in it, and push him before the Lord. (laughs) And let God deal with him. Trust me, he will have a much better job at getting through to your husband than you will. But if you jump over him and you decide to usurp whatever authority God has given to him, you're creating a problem for yourself and your family and yourself. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, Paul said this, I, suffer, I don't allow a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, and then Eve. Yes, to have a, a woman to be in a pulpit teaching over men and women, God has made a man to do that. That's why there's male pastors. And any woman who's in the pulpit is not obeying the Lord. And yes, I said that. And I'm sure I'm going to get an email, and I don't really care. You can argue with God. I suffer not a woman to teach. Now, teach in Sunday school, yes, the children, because that's part of God's role for her, to bring up and nurture the kids and to minister to other women. Yes, all of those things. But that's why Paul would say, but not to usurp the authority over a man. But a woman's role in the family, in the church, in society is extremely important. But their roles are defined by God. And if they are to be truly blessed and submit to their God-given roles, their house will be a home. Their house will be a home and a peaceful, safe haven rather than a battleground and a place of strife. And unfortunately, most houses in America are just the opposite of that. There's strife and it's a battleground. Men have abdicated their roles to their wives. Women, a very able woman, is more than happy to get the job done and just steamroll her husband. But Jezebel was a woman in charge and would step on anyone who would get in her way. If she were alive today, she would be running for governor of New York or California and have her eyes firmly fixed on the White House if she wasn't already there. And if she was already there, she would seek to be the head of the United Nations because she was so full of pride and so used to usurping authority. And I'm sure that her father's, or her mother, probably did the same thing to her father. But she says something interesting. So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I don't make your life, Elijah, as the life of one of those prophets of Baal that you slew, by one of them tomorrow, about this time, your head's going to be on a stick. That's what she says to him. And we will see that God, that her God, or we'll see that God will give her her wish. 
In 1 Kings 21, God, through Elijah, pronounces judgment against Jezebel. We, we haven't gotten that far, but he will say this, and he says this. Elijah, speaking on God's behalf, says this. He says, The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord. And why? Because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. He didn't take authority over his own house. He didn't take authority over his own kingdom. Instead, he allowed her to rule over him, and she loved that. And when there was peace in the house, it was because he kept his mouth shut and let her do what she wants. Is that any way for a house to be? Maybe your house is like that. Now, what's the solution to that? Do you want go home and say, you know, and, you know, pull out the staff like Gandalf, you shall not pass. You know, I mean, are you going to go home and do that and, and destroy your, your marriage? No, you don't do it that way. You pray and you talk to your wife. And you pray and you talk to your wife. And you wait and you pray and you talk to your wife. And let God work in her too. Don't go browbeat her. Let God do his work in her, just like he's going to be doing in you. And Elisha, one of the sons, uh, called one of the sons of the prophets, we'll see this in, in 2 Kings, which we're not anywhere near there yet. He's going to speak to Yehu, and among other things, he said to him that the dog shall eat Jezebel on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and there shall be none left to bury her. And, and that literally came to pass in 2 Kings chapter 9, her violent death. She was thrown out of a window. You can read it for yourself. We won't go there tonight. But in 2 Kings chapter 9, beginning in verse 30, um, Yehu comes into the town and the eunuchs that were up in the tower with Jezebel uh, threw her out and she hit the, the side. And it's pretty graphic what it says. Their blood spilled and on the side of the thing. And then um, Yehu went inside and had uh, something to drink, something to eat, and he came back out. And the dogs had literally taken her pieces by piece her hands, her head, her feet. And God fulfilled the prophecy that he said that he was going to do. Why? Because she was a wicked woman and she did not repent. She did not. She would not. She could have, but she did not and would not. So let's go on to verse 3. And notice when he, Elijah, when he saw that Jezebel had it out for him, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. Now, this place called Beersheba, uh, from up north, uh, somewhere to the west of the Sea of Galilee, if you go straight down the Jordan Valley and you continue going to the very south of Judah, the very southernmost city is Beersheba. It's about a 70-mile hike. And so he goes and he takes off there. And so after this huge square off with the prophets, he runs. And, it, 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 and, I, and I don't believe that Elijah was too afraid of Ahab because he knew he was rather impotent and had not been uh, bent on arresting Elijah. But Jezebel was a very real threat. And when you look at this word, when he saw, the word saw literally means literally or figuratively to perceive or to consider and when he saw, when he perceived and considered very carefully her words, instead of being a, a man of faith, he became a man of unbelief. He ran. After this huge, huge thing that he did. And usually that's the way it works. I don't know if you noticed that. 
But when God does something and you've had this great huge battle in your life and you, you become victorious and God does it through you and, and you, you've done this great thing and everybody's like, wow, you know. And you're like, wow, I can't believe God did that through me. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And then moments later, you're running for your life because a woman said, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you, my little pretty. You and your little dog Toto, too. He runs. Instead of being a man of faith, he becomes a man of unbelief. But the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So what is wrong here? What is wrong? Elijah was acting in fear rather than by faith. Did God tell him to run for his life to go to Beersheba? No, it's not recorded in Scripture. And God will ask Elijah two times, and we read it earlier, uh, just earlier in verse 9 and verse 13 when he was on Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. God asked him twice, what are you doing here, Elijah? I would love to hear the tone of God when he said that. Was it, what are you doing here, Elijah? Or was it, what are you doing here? Because the tone means everything, doesn't it? But whatever it was, it was right. And it was the right thing for God to do. And so notice that in spite of his fear, in spite of his fear, notice that God didn't berail him. He didn't berate him. He continued to minister to him. He was, even though he was a man larger than life, he was still a man nonetheless and subject to corruption and frailty. We saw a similar thing with King David, remember? He defeats this nine-foot champion, over nine feet. He defeats Goliath, and then, you know, he runs for his life from Saul. You know, his own countrymen, he runs, and then he goes up to Gath, and, and, and he's with the Philistines, and and he walks in there and, and he feigns himself to be kind of crazy and his spit is dropping down in his beard and he's scratching on the wall, you know, red rum, red rum, you know, and he's, he's just wigged out. Not one of David's favorite days, not one of his most faithful moments in his life. But isn't it true that sometimes even the spiritual giants that we tend to put on a pedestal don't ever do that? They're just men and women, and they have moments of frailty and, 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 uh, and suffering, and sin, even. Put your faith and trust in Christ, not in any man. No matter how big his ministry is, no matter how big his radio program is, no matter how many people watch him on television, he's just a man at the end of the day. He's a man in God's image, just like you and I. Never forget that. Exalt Christ, not a man. Amen? So he went to Beersheba, and like I said, from, from Jezreel down to Beersheba is about a 70-mile hike. But he himself, verse 4, went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that God might take his life. And he said, it's enough. Now take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. And so he, he goes out to this this remote area in, in, in Beersheba. And he goes out there, and he, he goes out even further now. He leaves his servant in Beersheba. He goes out even further. 
and he sits down under what is called a broom tree or a juniper tree. And it's about a 12, it can grow about 12 feet tall and it's just enough to get some shade. And so he goes underneath this thing and he's just despondent. He's just like, Lord, this woman's after me. She really means it. I know she means business because she's a fortune 500 gal and she's coming after me. And, uh, and, 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 and he's hiding. I wonder what would have happened if he'd have just stayed put. If he'd have just said, Lord, what would you have me to do? You've heard the threats of Jezebel. I wonder what history would have changed if, if he would have just prayed and said, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this about this great man of God, but I've got my own issues too, and I, I make these mistakes just like we all do. But I don't, do you ever wonder what would have happened if he'd have just prayed and said, Lord, what would you have me to do? Maybe the Lord would just say, stay put, I've got you covered. She's going to try to come, but in route to coming to your house with a bunch of soldiers, I'm going to smote them all with blindness. They're going to be groveling on the floor. Has he done that before? Yes, he has. And he can do it again. And he can preserve his prophet regardless and, and, and not have his prophet running. God can do that. So then as he lay under the, the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and there was by his head was a, a cake a, 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 you know, bread on coals and a jar of water. And he ate and he lay down again. And the angel, notice, the angel of the Lord. Underline that, the angel of the Lord. Now, I, I think it's very possible that this could be a pre-incarnate visitation of Jesus Christ. Whenever you see in the scripture, the angel of the Lord is usually a pre-incarnate visitation of Christ. Meaning, before he came into the womb of the Virgin Mary, before that happened, way back here in history, Jesus would show up at different times in Israel's history for different reasons. And I believe this could be one of them. Because it says the angel of the Lord. And um, we call it a theophany or a pre-incarnate visitation. We see this in Joshua chapter 5. When Jesus, standing before the commander of the Lord's army, before they're about to go against Jericho, there's this commander of the army with his sword drawn. And he says, take off your shoes, Joshua, for you stand on holy ground. And he received worship, which means that it, it was not, no angel receives worship unless it's Lucifer. But this man clearly was not Lucifer, so it could only have been Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate, the commander of the Lord's army, and he received Joshua's worship. It also appeared to Abraham in Genesis 19 as he's standing in, the, in, his, uh, in his tent and he receives these three visitors right before the uh, destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. It speaks of one of them as being the Lord himself. Yes, Yahweh. God speaking to him in the, in, in the form of a man. Moses at the burning bush in the desert in Exodus 3. Yes, the angel of the Lord speaking to Gideon in Judges chapter 6. Or even Samson's mother and his father Manoah. God speaking to them by an angel of the Lord speaking to them in Judges 13. And that's just a few. But notice at the end of verse 17, he says, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. See, even though the Lord didn't tell Elijah to go to Horeb or Mount Sinai, God knew where he was going to go. Elijah didn't need to go to God and say, You know what, God? I was up in Jezreel up there next to the Sea of Galilee, but I'm going to take a hike, not to Beersheba. I'm going to go even further down to Mount Sinai where it all began. That's where I'm going. He didn't say anything, but God knew where he was going. 
He says, the journey's too long for you, Elijah. You're going to need to eat. And he provides for him the sustenance that he needs. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.